0: Welcome to episode 22 of Fight in Progress. On today's episode, Susan and Chris interview Sergeant Lovejoy from Chandler PD here in Arizona. I wanted to thank all of you for the continued support. We love making this podcast and are happy to have you along for the ride. Thank you to our sponsor, Ufit MMA. Check them out for their $15 Leo special. Their information is in the description below. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Fight in Progress, and that is not um something for you boys in here to to take as literally as it sounds but we're gonna have a good time today on this podcast i have of course ace is no longer our co-host or at least for now we have chris that many of you know i'm here again yes believe it or not i didn't run him off last time kind of thought i might but we have a guest with us today yes we do and this one might be really
1: interesting he scares me
0: he does scare you (laughs) yep Yeah, we have Sergeant Tom Lovejoy with us from CLASA, which is, we're going to let you tell us what that is. It's
1: the
2: Chandler Lieutenant and Sergeant's Association.
0: And I assume y'all had to switch that up, Sergeant and Lieutenant, because you couldn't get it to come up with a really good name.
2: No, you don't want to be ASA or, you know, any other weird (laughs) name like that. So yeah, we had to be creative. (laughs) That's but, actually pretty funny. Well, we know um, who matters more. It's the sergeants, but we put those guys in front to make them feel good. Is that what it is? Yeah, you're blowing is. smoke? Yep.
0: Hey, it works. That's that's kind of what you're known for, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we're glad to have you with us today. We appreciate you taking time out. It's been kind of a crazy week, I know. And I would like to start out by saying how sorry we are for the loss of the Chandler officer, um, Tyler Britt. Who passed away on Monday? Monday. Last Monday, yeah. Last Monday, a week ago, um, from complications from COVID. And uh, it was a big loss, I know, to the department because Tyler had been there how many years?
2: 19 years, yeah. He would have had his 20 in April. Wow.
0: Was he planning to retire, do you know?
2: Uh, the, what, talking to his team yesterday and some of the things that his plans were to drop and stay for a little bit in April, but I don't think that he had any intention of staying the whole time. But. Wow.
0: Well, I know it's a it's a huge loss and and again our condolences to everyone at Chandler and all the families because it affected a lot of people. Very obviously, he was a he was very highly thought of and very well respected officer. I only got to meet Tyler a few times, but um, just seemed like a really nice guy. And I know he's been described as kind of a gentle giant.
2: I, I think that's probably the best way to describe him. I worked with him quite a bit over the summer because he was on our. RDU, which is our rapid deployment unit. And so we went out and, and worked a lot of these protests and were at the ready and spent a lot of hours with him over the summer. So I got to know him even a little bit better than I had before, and I think that's probably the best way to describe him. Mm-hmm. He was kind of that guy, the big guy that brought calm to a situation because he just didn't, you know, not one of those guys that excited, but he could bring a lot of calm, and he was just an all-around good guy. So it's a it's very, um, it was a difficult funeral difficult thing to go through with him because of who he was and his character
0: sure sure i heard one funny story about him because he's not the type who looks like he'd speak spanish
2: right yeah but apparently he
0: kind of stood to the side on a few few things and they'd start You'd get somebody under arrest, they'd start speaking Spanish, and he would translate it word for word. Yes. Kind of
2: shock everybody. He's, uh, his wife, they, they're fluent, and that's what they speak in the home, so <laughs> he knows all the language, and he's, yeah, he will, he's surprised the best, because it wasn't just classroom spanish that he was teaching it was legit spanish and he knew all the slang and there was more on the one eye that bugged out whenever he'd say something so
0: it would be like me speaking spanish nobody would, would suspect me right. in the slightest right and i wouldn't because my southern accent would probably butcher it so bad anyway um, and on a lighter note i do have to congratulate my alabama roll tide on a, oh my another gosh. national championship don't don't be rolling your eyes over there, Chris. You watched the game and were just as I excited did. as I was about. And their you fed win. me again. I did. No. That's the only way I can get him to come over here and watch football with me is to feed him. But uh, yeah, very proud of the of the Alabama Crimson Tide and their success this year. And I'm sure we'll be back next year.
1: Enough on that. I have a question for Tom. <laughs> ding ding Uh, round one no what what we were talking about with tyler so obviously for people that don't know there's a there's a lot of work that goes into coordinating and planning especially with COVID around the everything that we went through sunday and monday correct
2: correct yeah that was pretty much the i mean i've done i think i've done probably seven or eight funerals now whether it was an off-duty death or on-duty death and that was one of the big factors. I mean, the fact that he that he died from the COVID complications and then just that we, you know, anytime we have these funerals, we have a lot of officers that are in close quarters. And so we had to be very um, aware of, of that situation so that we could create a way to honor him in a way that he deserved, but still try to fall within the um, guidelines that we have for for COVID restrictions. So yeah, it was very difficult. But I think at the end of the day after afterwards, when everything's done and you look back on it, I think we did a very good job. And I think yeah. we did the best job that we could, all things considered. So Absolutely. And we had a lot of um, good partners in, in all of this too. So it was nice that um, right down to the church, they were able to have a live stream of that um, ceremony that they had at the church, which was good. Um, I think actually that, you know, it allowed a lot more people to participate than we would in a normal line of duty death.
0: So was there a good response to the lining the streets?
2: Yeah, did you it know, not, I did it get out. To it, it did people? get out. I don't I'm not quite sure how much of that happened because I was inside doing oh. that. The inside of the things I haven't exactly heard how that went. But yeah, that's always been. I'm very well received, but I think a lot of people were watching because I got a lot of comments from people. You know, I think I saw you, or you know, they're watching you yeah. on live uh, live feed, and so you know, and that was the best way, I think, and the safest way for a lot of people to to do that. And I think you saw a lot more of that than than you would have in the past of you know more of the online support than the offline.
0: Yeah, I made the decision years ago after going to way, way, way too many line of duty death funerals for law enforcement that i try not to get involved in that aspect of it i'll go to a visitation but as far as the funeral it makes it too hard then to deal with the people afterwards i find it's easier if i kind of disconnect phoenix was a prime example of that but i didn't go to the funeral for dave glasser primarily because i was teaching for border patrol in Yuma. But it turned out to be a real God thing for me because I wound up getting really involved with that team afterwards. I didn't know they had been at a training that Lieutenant Colonel Grossman and I did up in um, Prescott, I think it's where we were, before Dave was killed, and they wanted me to come back in and do a training afterwards. And it would have been really hard to have seen those guys suffering the way they did. I've seen the videos of it afterwards. But I've just made a decision I've had, I have to kind of separate myself if i'm going to provide services afterwards and you know being under contract with you guys at at chandler with the unions i feel like it's better for me to stay on this side of the of the fence with it
2: yeah i think that that's um it's also good because i think that it gives you that outside perspective on things yeah and helps you know people through that process because you know you see a lot of things when you're on the inside of that and that may kind of affect how you make a decision on to talk to someone. So I think, and for you, you're always um, good at coming in with something raw, you know, and not knowing all that extra stuff to and where you might maybe pause for a minute and try to be cautious not to open up something or not want to go there. But that just, I think it gives you the opportunity to be, you know, get the things out that you need to do without being worried about, well, I know this, but Yep. you know, I'm going to ask that question. So, and
0: that takes us back too to a topic that we've had on this show many times about inside peer support, because you just can't tell me that the size of Chandler PD that some of the people that are peers that they weren't affected by Tyler's death, also.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that's the the one thing that's you know that you know we've talked about, and it's just kind of curious is that you know, doing the peer support when it's a line of duty death, Mm -hmm. you know, it just doesn't, it's never really made sense to me because you're right. I mean, I've seen the people that are actually doing the peer support break down more than the people that are actually, you know, participating or supposed to participate in that. So Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thing to have, uh, see them do that, but you know, they make that available. And I think it's important that there's a lot of ways to deal with people's grief through that within the department and i think you have to have a lot of resources available to that so i mean and i'm sure we'll get into that a lot here in a little bit so (laughs) we will touch on that too much but um and this was a difficult situation though because like you were relaying to what had happened in phoenix and what we had happen here you know, we kind of talked about that yesterday with a few of the officers because, you know, we always have someone to blame or there's always some underlying trauma or traumatic kind of thing like a shootout or you know what you typically experience with a line of duty death or a car crash or you know like some with the Dave that Payne when right. you lost Dave there was suddenly behavior. Well, say be Dave Payne. At. We had one of our officers that you know died after he was rear-ended and the car caught on fire and you know some of his peers watched that happen. Yes. And so those things are a lot more difficult. This one's been interesting because um, it was uh, it was COVID. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, a thing that we've just not really seen in the past that um, that we've dealt with. So this one was. A little different and I think people's uh, how they're grieving has been a little bit longer just because they don't have we don't have that thing to say well you know it was because of the shootout or anything like that but at the end of the day these officers are going out there um, you know you have mm-hmm. people that are wearing masks people that have been ha- in their houses for you know the last what 11 months now 10 months yeah and have not left but these officers go out every day and they go into homes. They make traffic stops to people that may be going to get tested or sure. that may be sick. That uh, they go into homes where people are sick because along uh, and a lot of times when a, when we get called for when fire department gets called out, the police go in there. Yes. And you know they're in there, you know, dealing with that every day, and that's a huge thing. And now, now we have an officer who died from these complications. It's really hit home. And I would I would venture to guess that the amount of people, the officers, if you were on the fence before about the vaccine, right. I bet you're seriously thinking twice about it right now and and gonna go out there and get that. So it's changed a lot uh, of, of the mindset that we had when it hit that close to home. Sure, and uh, you know dealing with those things. I know that they, um, you know, it, it, in in Tyler's case, you know, he went into a lot of homes and did a lot of traffic stops and. Did a lot of those things over that period of time, and it's um, it's scary to think that that's something that could happen to to any of us. Sure. So it, yeah, definitely a whole new level of um, dealing with that trauma.
0: Well, and the grieving is different, also in that, for example, when you've had officers who've had cancer, there's an opportunity to go in and spend time with them, say your goodbyes, but nobody could go in, nobody could go see him. Right. Even when it was deemed that it probably was not going to go very well.
2: Yeah. It It
0: wasn't like people had a chance to go pay their last respects to him and talk to him or anything. There was no contact.
2: Right. And yeah, and he had been battling that and it had been up and down for him so much that, yeah, it was a difficult thing for everybody because we were on that roller coaster ride where we couldn't talk to him. You know, we were getting word that he was doing better and then the next thing we know he's doing really bad again so yeah it was a a big roller coaster ride for everyone emotionally and you know and just you're right not being able to talk to him or see him or you know do that even just send him a text message you know that sometimes is our only contact that we have with someone that's in that situation so yeah this has brought on a whole new level of of crisis for people and how they're going to deal with that. And I think there's just a lot of people just don't know how to feel right now.
0: Sure. And and Chris over here, for example, we had a long conversation about this, having battled COVID and now you've lost one, you know, you realize where you were in this Yep. and you had underlying issues with AFib.
1: Careful. I know I have issues, but. Yeah, you
2: have issues and it's in that. Cup sitting next to you, forty-four ounces of Dr. Pepper, sugar and caffeine. <laughs> yes, yes. Not slamming Dr. Pepper. So, I don't think we can do that. But. So don't what, grab
0: your heart in here like yeah. you did a minute ago. So what
1: happens afterwards? This is a change of subject. No, no. <laughs> yeah, this, okay. yeah. It's yeah. I'm getting off the Dr. Pepper. Oh, yes, yes. but yes. okay. So uh, for a lot of people that don't know, you know, we're we're told you know when to go to the viewing or when to go to the funeral, and clearly there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes what does a department do now that you've done four or five on duty deaths the days the weeks after the funerals over that makes sense
2: yeah I mean that's the the follow-up that has to happen and I think that it's important for our leaders in the department to keep as many you know options open to what what the needs are of a person everyone it, the one thing that I've learned in doing these funerals is that everyone grieves differently yes no matter what there's some people that need to joke about it there's some people that need to you know, some people drink. Some people punch a wall or a punch a wall, or, or some you know, yes. and some people need to cry for a while. Sure. And you know, everyone deals with their grief differently. Yes, and I think this situation is so different that we just need to be hyper vigilant right now, mm-hmm. and and looking out for our peers. So this really goes out more to all of the officers. They need to be doing not only self checks, but they need to be doing checks with the people around them and keep an eye on things and looking for changes in their partners to, if they see something, they need to try to get them some help. And we have enormous resources available to us for people to get help. And they just need to, everyone needs to be looking out for themselves and for the other people around them. And that's the best thing that we can do. And uh, I think between the associations, we have, I think, a lot better options than What even the city can offer but the city has a lot of offerings too and people just need to find that fit what works best for them and they need to um, dive into that
0: and and don't discourage people just because somebody used one thing that is either offered through the association or the city if it didn't work for them you know let everybody try all the different options if that's what you need to do right now i know one of the biggest issues is the eaps are so overrun with stuff that there are sometimes delays in getting into them. And I think they're probably still doing Zoom, which might allow them to see more people in a day. But, you know, I know that there's, we've got to do some improvement on that end with regards to the number of people, because the Craig-Tiger law really kind of took the system that was already struggling with the, what, six men, I mean, six visits that were cleared, that. EAPS would pay for. I mean, were paid for right. through the department, and now it's gone to up to thirty-six.
2: Yeah, it, you know, and and there are there are those things that that the officers can do and, and use those, but it's getting them there. Yeah, you know, is really to to back up to that a little bit, and yeah, we've there, those laws have been very helpful for that. But you know, when you talk about the police officer, the personalities and the dynamics that go behind. Um, how they look for help and how they get help because we go to calls every day and we're the ones that are providing the help. Yes. And so, you know, you have a lot of hurdles with police officers and there's the EAP thing that it's, if it's generated by the police department, EAP, you know, works for whoever your employer is right. and they're going to protect themselves and a lot of officers don't feel like they can go into an EAP situation and um, feel like they can be candid and forthcoming with everything that they're feeling. Sure. So that's why if, if you're feeling that way, there's other resources and that's what we've done in Chandler um, by hiring under the shield mm-hmm. is giving them another option. And what we like and what I like and what I always direct people to as association president is going to someone that you're comfortable with, but also that you're going to have the confidentiality that you deserve. Right. Because at the end of the day, what we want is we want to, them to feel comfortable that they're not going to go into a situation, their job's going to be in jeopardy, they're going to be put on light like duty or things like that, but they're going to get help. Yes. And my personal experience in, in dealing um, with you as many years as we have is that we you get the help that they need. You get them back to work and they're healthier when they come back, even than before whatever the incident that caused them to come see you was. And so that's just another example of why we need to have more resources out there for people. And, um, so yeah, it's not a one size fits all, no matter where you go. Some people like the EAP, they need the EAP and that's great. If that helps you, that's good. But I think everybody needs to know there are a lot of resources out there and there's one that fits you. And you and just you need and, to ask for help.
0: And you and Dennis Cunningham, we have to give we have to give Dennis kudos, even though he's retired now. But you guys were the really, besides Avondale's um, president back eight nine years ago, however long it's been now, really were on the forefront and the cutting edge of bringing us in and allowing us to do what we do, and here at Under the Shield. And it's again, it's not about ever about eliminating anybody. There's room at the table for everybody but it's been such an interesting thing out here to see how they can come here to us, and then if they need to go to something more advanced, we have this amazing psychologist that we send everybody to that everybody absolutely loves, and he gets it. He's not one that you have to educate and train and teach and all that other stuff, and so, you know, basically y'all have implemented seven, eight years ago what we've been preaching around the country. And that's this three tiered approach, peer support, stress coaches, and then the license world. And everybody's working and playing together in the same sandbox. We just offer different things. And so you and Dennis were, were very cutting edge thinking when you opened the door and allowed us to come in and contract with you guys because nobody else in the country was doing that.
2: No. And I think that when you came forward to us, um, and, and brought the proposal that you did, it was at a time when, uh, things were a little bit difficult and, and we had been going through some things with the EAP mm-hmm. and going through that, that was the only real resource that we had for our officers. So, you know, the proposal that you made to us was huge, especially as association presidents. Um, you know, it's, and. It, a lot of times as association presidents, we're the first ones that called when somebody's in crisis. Yes. And to be able to have something to direct them to that you know is going to get them some help and the, the level of service that we get. Um, I, I, I think back over the last couple of years, we've called you at all hours and you've always answered your phone and you've always been right on the spot and you've always been able to um, help get officers in a position to where uh, – they know that they're going to get the help that they need, and they feel confident because they're of because of the confidentiality that they're getting in that situation. So,
0: you all really tested me there with the back-to-back deaths in less than twenty-four hours. Well, we didn't. You know, that it wasn't was that challenge. wasn't the only thing, and right. you,
2: those weren't the only two things that were going on. Right? Because we were having a lot of challenges with some other members. Yes. that you were dealing with at the same time. Yes, and you were able to take care of a lot of things at the same time, and just the staff and the help that you have with you too is helpful because um, it helps spread that out. But everybody that you have is able to help people in a way that um, best fits their needs. And so that's, what's been the best for us. And it makes it easy for me because a lot of times I'm dealing with a crisis and somebody will call and say this and I'm like, you got to call Susan. And, you know, and the nice thing about it is you're, you're very pushy. (laughs) <laughs> and so, if, if and he
0: means that with all love and respect. absolutely.
2: Well, no, it's helpful because it's not just. Well, have them call me. Right. You know, you follow up. They haven't called me yet. Okay, yep. and I'll call them back. And if it takes a three-way phone call to get them in there, and and once they talk to you for a little bit, they're hooked.
0: It's just getting it's, them. Yeah. Initially it, in
2: there. Yeah. It's it's hard not to like you, and most of the people that don't like you are people that need to work on something. <laughs> they need <And> help. <laughs> they need help. That's so. <laughs> And so that's why that. I think
0: the training is so important because they hear me. They yep. get to know me through the training because I think that's probably how you and I got introduced right. was you were in a training class. And now I can't get rid of him. Thanks a lot, Tom. Yeah, well. No.
1: <laughs> well, that's this hits exactly on what you've talked about. The departments that or unions that aren't contracted through you, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but doesn't. This isn't just about like in my story where someone wants to kill themselves. This can be, you know, productivity issues. It can be, you know, abuse of sick time. There's many things there for officers that are struggling that you can see decline and stuff. Doesn't this make your job easier having her?
2: Oh, absolutely. And the thing, you know, you gave a couple examples, but and you gave work-related examples. There's examples of the stressors that happen at home or that happen in people's private lives, or, you know, and vice versa. There are sometimes people will have things that happen at work and it comes into their private life. And then their private yeah. life will have things happen, that comes to their work life. Yeah, and absolutely. you you wind up with just a huge yeah. atom smash in the middle and, and you have a lot of those difficulties. And that's the fortunate thing that we have with Susan is that, you know, she's pretty much can run the gamut and it's not isolated to one thing or the other. But the one thing that I have found is that... Um, We've been extremely successful in saving lives and extremely successful in getting people back on track, making them, you know, successful back at work and at home. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing. And sometimes there's tough decisions that go with that. But those are decisions that um, that with, with Susan's help and coaching... Uh, I've seen nothing but success from it you know and the the biggest thing of it is that I don't think people understand how much has happened because there's only a few people that really feel open enough to talk about what happens in here and we have Susan and I have a confidential agreement we do not talk about who comes in here we don't talk about anything that happened during a session and unless that person comes to me I don't even know that you um, may have come in and spoke with her but I cannot tell you how many people I have come tell me (laughs) that Susan saved my marriage Susan saved my life uh, all of those those good things you know that have come out of that and and that's important to us because that uh, makes me feel really good about my decision and every year it makes it really easy to write that check (laughs) Because if you're paying that, and it's such a small price to pay to save a life, to to with our subscription, and um, you know it's just one person, if that's all it takes, that's good. But I can tell you that it's not. It's it's a lot, you know, and 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 that's huge. And that's the, that's to me is money well spent, and that's our responsibility, especially in the association, because while it's <laughs> making sure our members are taken care of. At work with benefits or being treated fairly and things like that. It's also important that their well-being is at the top of that list too.
0: And you you kind of balance out the playing field, right? Also, so that it's not just city services. If people are not comfortable going there, that we now have another option. And again, it's about options. That, that's all it is. People in law enforcement, especially, need lots of options. Whether it's for their families, for their kids. You're- you know,
1: it is.
2: And the, and the thing of it, you know, you look back at, you talked about the psychologist that we used earlier, mm-hmm. um, the stuff that we go through, we see the worst of the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. We see things that are imprinted on our brains that you'll never be able to get rid of. Sure. And you have to learn how to deal with those things. So, you know, there's a lot of times that this stuff is so horrific. I work in, um, and computer crimes.
1: And <laughs> it's also, know. we
2: we're on the internet crimes against children task force. I don't
0: know how you do that.
2: So, well, in a lot of people say that, and the thing of it is somebody has to do it. Yep. We have to be an advocate for these children. And while it's difficult at the same time, we're saving lives and we're saving, you know, children from horrible abuses that had, that have happened to them or could happen to them. Sure. And so sometimes those things that are burned in our mind, we need to talk to someone about, and if you have if you go to a therapist and we've seen this with eap and you go in there and talk about the horrific things that you've seen they wind up in therapy no they wind up in therapy they cannot handle our therapists need therapists because of the stuff that we talk to them about
0: which makes y'all then more hesitant to go in and talk to anybody.
2: Well, because those people are like, uh, yeah, this this is not something anybody should have ever experienced. You need to go into more therapy. So you know, and that's what we get. We get with you, and we get with um, our psychologist that he understands that, yes. and and he's um, been very open with you know communicating back to me. If like one of my, I to, to back up a little bit when I first took over this unit and saw some of the horrific stuff I'd heard about it, but until you get to see it firsthand or hear about it, you don't understand how really horrible it is. Mm -hmm. And so we were very fortunate because at the time, but a commander that was open to us sending our officers to see a psychologist. And so I did some research and found a psychologist that has the certifications that we need, but also understands how, what police officers deal with and how they think. And so our members went and saw um, him and every one of them, you know, (laughs) was very grateful for it, but he came back and said, Tom, you're, this is the things that you need to do. And, you know, you're already doing a lot of them, but this is the things that we need to be looking for, um, for these guys. So, you know, you're dealing with some pretty damaging things that stay with everyone for a long time. So we have to have, um, people in place that can, that can help us with that and understand that, um, because of the stuff we've seen, we're not completely crazy. (laughs) We just need to, someone to help us, Uh, Is Susan's term empty our garbage cans? Yep. Because they have a tendency to get full a lot faster, and they also they do, especially with the children. And they also the trash that's in there is a lot nastier that we're dumping. So, and that's why I think it's important that you're you're choosing wisely. You know who you're choosing to go visit and see and get and get help from.
0: And you're open too to them making suggestions of things that will make your environment easier. I, uh, I assume that's where the the uh, therapy dog
2: yeah, came we, from. Yeah, that's where the therapy dog came from. Um, I do a lot of different things too. I'll, I'll make people take breaks, um, you know, to get away from the office for a little bit because they can get so overwhelmed that they uh, are just doing it for too long. I mean, it's just because there's so much overwhelming amount of information now, you know, a lot of what we do now is when we first started out with doing if cell phones, for instance, you know, we're extracting information from cell phones. It was only a few gigs, you know, and now we're up to phones that hold two terabytes of information. So these guys get pretty consumed with looking through that stuff, but they have to take the breaks. The work is not going to go anywhere. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's getting inside. So there's a lot of different things that we have to do to help, these guys not be so immersed in it and taking breaks and rotating who's doing certain cases and not. So, you know, there's a lot to it. And it it just, it happens at all levels. And the therapist, if you have a therapist that's willing to work with the supervisors and giving them some advice or giving them some guidance on how to manage some of those things. Um, it's very helpful because it's, you know, it was good for me because I felt like I I was on the right track. He said, you're doing the right thing, but here's, and here's what I'd recommend. So I know those are the things that I need to do. And um, that's what we try to do is take care of these people the best that we can. Typically, you know, the response that you would get from from your agency is, well, maybe we just need to rotate these guys through every three years or, you know, something like that. And my, my, Let's
0: expose more people to them. Well, that's than, just it. And entire department.
2: I won't tell you exactly what my response was because <laughs> it's pretty descriptive, but it's one of those things where, you know, these guys have already seen the stuff. Let's let help them manage it yes. instead of just you know getting rid of them, putting because I don't think that's gonna be good for them, and I don't think it's gonna be good for the other people that are coming in because even the position that we're in, because we see the worst of the worst, there's not a whole lot of people that are lining up to come and work in there either.
0: Well, and let them. I mean, if they need out, let them ask out. Oh, I, don't just automatically just move them because no. again, there are I have seen people in this at multiple agencies who. My hat's off to them. They're cut out to do this work. They have the right attitude. They don't take on the garbage as much. They go, I'm helping. I am I am going to stop it or prevent it or something. And that's going to be better than somebody else just rotating in there because they're being forced to rotate in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you get that where the, it takes a certain personality it and does. a certain kind of person to be able to come in and do this job.
0: And here's you- the part that bothers me because I actually had one. Um, and again, we won't talk about agencies. I can tell you it wasn't yours. Um, that came in because he started having some issues having dealt in child sex crimes and went to a therapist, an EAP. And basically the therapist freaked him out and said, I don't understand what your problem is. Were you being turned on by what you saw? And the officer started to cry and said, he, that therapist was telling me I was going to turn into one of these people. And it took me four and a half hours to undo what a therapist did in about 20 seconds.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to say Tom to was speechless there. Yeah. yeah, he like, was, <laughs> I
0: could tell that he was. <laughs> and well, this person knows I share that without giving a name or an yeah. agency. Um, but that kind of thing makes me go, what the heck? What does that mean?
2: Yeah, they shouldn't be a therapist. No. Because that's absolutely not the case. No. You know, in a lot of these dealing with the officers and stuff that I do that are dealing with this stuff in and out. That's the furthest thing from that. That is That's,
0: the last thing they need to even have planted in their head.
1: Right. Well, and he talks about therapists. And I know we've talked about doctor number five and using uh, him. Would it help to have more licensed therapists? Or do you overwhelm that therapist or do you overwhelm doctor oh, I number know five? I, I know I overwhelm. You know what I mean? <laughs> that
2: one. Yeah. You know, the, it's hard though. Cause they're, they're so far and few between yes you know to find that and i think the, the one that we have right now i guess we're calling him number five without understanding <laughs> well no he
0: was number five on chris's remember yeah, but... chris's whole thing that played out oh okay seven of different it's yeah. number five out of Got seven <laughs>
2: okay well yeah and you're that he's very unique he and is. He, he's incredible and you know we've gotten to the point now where the agency has recognized him that we want to use them to for everyone to go to go visit. So,
0: <laughs> and I'm not going to let you do that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're taking my resource.
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah.
0: but it it's you know, and there's one other I think that that I can't remember if it was your number three or number four that we liked that probably could also be utilized.
1: The female, yes, number but that's,
0: two, yeah, number two, but that's probably about the only one. And again, I have a limited experience in how many. I've been exposed to, but that one would be another good one that I think that y'all could utilize for that also. Um, How long have you been doing this? Rooms,
1: but. How long, How long been. you been sworn?
2: I've been sworn for 30 years.
1: So is there, and maybe you'll know too, is, are we just more aware of officers struggling or is there an uptake since you got hired? Does that make sense?
2: Well, I, you know, everything changes. So, you know, when I first started, um, the you just dealt with it. There was none of the therapy. If you went to see a therapist, you were weak. And but they, you also had
0: choir practice.
2: Well, we did do that. But, yeah. <laughs> and then that became that? a big no no. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and so that, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, but you, and that's where I think, because when you think about peer support, that was probably the original form of peer support.
2: Yeah, it probably was. I, I don't know. You'd have to come up with a good um, acronym for that, but I'm sure we could.
0: <laughs> if we could have left the alcohol if, out of it, it would have
2: been if a If SISM started with Coors, I'm sure that <laughs> that was right. probably something that we resolved a lot of our problems out there. So,
0: <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you sat and you talked and it was people who got it and, and you got to the place where you could use the sick humor in appropriate times um and i think people left those things feeling better
2: well you know and 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 like chris was saying you know you go way back there it's like things were a lot different then yes um we deal now with a lot of of things get worse you know just to, it, i guess that as i go through and i look back at things it's like I, I look at where i'm at right now in this career i've been in this position position for five years and i'm like this is the when i first started i thought wow this is the worst thing i've ever seen and and i should have never said that because <laughs> a month or two later, I was like, "Okay, that's worse. This is worse." Yes. So and it just keeps going like that. Yeah. So as times going on, you're also seeing a lot of things, and we're also getting into the digital age where it's a lot easier to see this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's at your fingertips. And the kids and the apps and the, you know, being able to the read access that's that's out there for that that kind of stuff. It's it's phenomenal. So I think you're seeing a lot more. Um, of that now because of that that we didn't ever have before because pretty much everything back then was on VHS. yes and now there's a lot more So was so there even
1: a computer crimes unit prolific. back when you started?
2: no when I started there wasn't a computer crimes computer crimes hmm. unit oh, I didn't, didn't realize that no did it, it, they didn't really start a computer crimes unit. It was actually a financial crimes unit at first and then it became the computer crimes unit. so hmm. um,
0: but I think you're also looking at a lot more scrutiny of officers you know, across the board, not just your unit, but just law enforcement in general, that, you know, everybody's videoing everything you're doing and saying and not, y'all are videoing everything you're saying and doing. Um, But there's so much more scrutiny now that I think that the need for something like Under the Shield and the EAPs expanding is because officers are being bombarded more from all different directions. Now, families are even being more involved. You know, we're releasing body cams. Officers' names, people can figure out where they live. It's pretty easy. It's really not that hard. Um, and we're having to get things in place now that also do help them get their information off the Internet so families aren't targeted. But I just think there's so many other aspects that are coming in that law enforcement, when you first started, you didn't even really think
2: about. No, that definitely. I mean, you didn't think about law things. It wasn't at your fingertips. Where it is now, through open source, you can find anyone's information sure and that is a huge stress because and maybe a lot to how some officers even deal with situations because they know of those those things so right uh but yeah you know that things have changed tremendously and um over at least my 30 years but it, it, it to go back to what you're talking about with the the uh, cameras you know everything's under scrutiny everything you're doing is under a microscope and I've often said if I ever go back to patrol and they put a camera on me I'm not going to make it out of briefing before I've probably had three violations of just our language code. So you, you know, would struggle. I would struggle, but you know, I would do it. Sure. And take my counseling statements and move on, but it's um yeah, it's a lot more challenging when you're when you're under that kind of scrutiny all the time. I mean, I remember when it was when we were in the academy and you had to do your Uh, your scenarios before you're in there and you had five guys you know rating you as you're going through a scenario you know and now we have i don't know how many millions of people are in the united states because you know they can get any of your body cam sure and and review that and critique you you know well we're putting it out on facebook
0: and everywhere else everybody to see it i know phoenix has released three in the last or two and just in the last few weeks and um, it, you know, it, it draws a lot of scrutiny, but I understand the transparency that departments... I don't agree with it. If I were chief, I'd have a really hard time with it um, because I think there's... I don't think the public that isn't trained, that has a problem with you because they got a ticket that they didn't think they should have gotten and they get angry. But I just, you know, personally, I wouldn't want the public's opinion in it until after everything came out. We. You need to investigate it first, then you give the transparency. But that's not the way agencies do it these days.
2: Well, I think the agencies have had to kind of adapt to that too because everything's out there. Mm-hmm. These people are going to get it. And, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's like, you know, wouldn't want to throw the stuff out there right away. But what we have found is that um, if you go back to the way things were, we just never did these kinds of things. And now we've, we're doing videos and, and putting everything out there. Um so that people can kind of judge it because the, the trick bag they are up against, I mean, you've got like some city council members in Phoenix that would like nothing more than for you to have a, their selection of people that are going to review police events. And that is going to be a mess because if that happens, they don't understand, you know, number one are procedures. They don't understand how things are um,
1: <laughs>
2: done, Right. you know, but they want to do it off of just looking at a video and based on how they're, you know, what they know is is how that happens. But then, you know, we've I mean, we even seen that here in Phoenix. We had a, a reverend that um, they went through and put him through a couple <laughs> yes, scenarios, you know. And I mean, yes. that, that's a perfect example. simulation
0: training will yeah, change he, people's perspective. Well,
2: he went through and killed people through his simulation. <laughs> and I was like, man, I would, I, you know, me looking at it, even being a cop, I'm like, you're not, you're going to go be a reverend somewhere because... You should never be a cop. So it's one of those things where these guys that are so critical of the police, but yet you put them in that scenario, they fail miserably. They
0: shoot babies and they birds shoot, right, and they,
2: cars and trees and right. everything. Yeah, they're just, they're jumpy and they, you And know.
0: I think they should, anybody that's going to be on a civilian review board should have to go through some type of training that at least shows how adrenaline impacts your thought process, how your brain works, that kind of stuff. Because it's easy to sit behind a desk and review something and frame by frame by frame with absolutely no adrenaline pumping.
2: They should all be put through a situation uh-huh. where their stress level is so high yes. that time slows down. Yes. Because that's the things that we go through. When you get so stressed that all of a sudden it feels like you're in and- slow motion and you get tunnel vision. Yep. You know that you've gotten to the point where an officer is when he's in fear of his life chasing a bad guy yep. who has a gun. And he's, you know, apprehending that person because that's his job and he has to do that. He can't turn and run. Right. You you, you know, you have to face that. And and that's our job. That's what the the community expects us to do.
0: And then ask them questions that shows that they don't process everything. That critical instant amnesia is a real thing.
2: Absolutely. And
0: takes several days and sleep cycles to process through because they'll tell you the craziest stuff ever. I worked with an agency back east that their city council was just on their PD. And I said, put them all on a Fats machine that will shoot back. And they did. <laughs> and the stuff they got out of those people was absolutely hilarious. And again, they were shooting anything and everything that moved once they got spun up and got lit up one time. And then they couldn't tell you anything about anything they'd done.
2: And that's the, that's, that's the people that should be judging the people that are going through those situations so they have a complete understanding of what that officer is going through at that moment. Exactly. Because it would probably change their perspective on things tremendously. Sure. When they're making those decisions. And, you know, when you have civilians reviewing uh, police officers and they don't have those kinds of experience, how is that fair? You know, you say you want to be a... They, everybody else has to have a judge of their peers, but yet when it comes to that, they don't. So.
0: Well, and I, and you know, and I'll be all for civilian review boards for police as soon as we get them for doctors and we get them for lawyers.
2: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs>
0: Talk about self-regulating right. industries. Right. <laughs> then, okay, we get them for those, then I'll back the civilian review board for law enforcement right. with stipulations they have to go through stuff. But you'll never see it for doctors and lawyers.
2: No, you'll never will. Ever. So to go back, I think that uh, you know what we were talking about. I think that's the important thing to remember. That was why a lot of these agencies are trying to get out in front of that, mm-hmm. because we don't want to get to the point. Because when we shut down, it, it looks bad. You know it what does. I mean? When we get into a shooting and we take all that information, say oh, we're going to wait till the investigation's done. It's still an open investigation. We all stuff. It looks like we're hiding something, and so you know how do you deal with that? I don't necessarily agree all the time with how the, some of the information they get out, but I do believe that at this day and age, we have to have something out there to feed these people so that they can either stop or, yeah, it doesn't doesn't look good or, you know, however we're going to deal with that, but it's kind of out in the open so people aren't just going to the worst-case scenario and that they're hiding it. Because and The only
0: thing I'd ask is when departments are going to do that, you let the officers... Troopers, deputies, know ahead of time it's coming out. Don't let them find out that their body cam has been released by finding it on social media. Yeah, that's not... And I've seen that happen. Yeah, that's
2: that's horrible. And I think we're very fortunate with our agency on that because they let... And it's not just the officer. I think that every single member of that agency needs to know that that's going to happen. Sure. And you've got to communicate that because they all have to be ready for that. Because in this day and age, we see what happens. You know, over this last year, we've seen what happens when when you have a bad shoot, good shoot, or otherwise, mm-hmm. and what they have to deal with. They have got to be hyper vigilant, even more so than they are. And when families it comes to prepared
0: that. and educated, which is another realm of what we do here. Correct is making sure that families have an opportunity to come in, because you know, again, having been married to law enforcement in the past, you know, if my Husband at the time had been crucified on social media for doing his job. Y'all know me. Um, Police would get called because I'd be out looking for somebody. Um, But spouses need that opportunity to educate kids and to uh, make sure that the whole family knows this is coming out. Stay off social media. Stay off the news. Don't expose them to all the stuff because there's going to be some negative things that come out.
2: Yeah, it's hard, and I've I've been there myself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and you so, have, hadn't you? <laughs> and it is, it's hard, and that's the you know the best thing you can do in those situations. My advice is just stay off of it, yes. because a lot of times when you get out there and you want to fight with these people online or you know these hacks or the the trolls, it, it just all it does is is make more fodder for them to amp you up. And so if you ignore it. It seems like it goes away that much faster. So I would
0: not to eliminate it, but that's just me. But you're anyway. talking, you're
1: yeah. talking about these critical incidents, and I know I've heard you say before that your supervisors are the first line of defense, you know, the sergeants, and that's why you teach the supervisor class. I know for a fact, because you've done it to me.
0: Uh, <laughs> it, talking to Lovejoy, not to uh, me. Yes. I haven't done um, it to him.
1: <laughs> even before you were the union president, but especially when you are the union president, it's something that you do not only for your members, but... For you, it's about accountability and you'll call people on when your supervisors might have made a bad decision or might have, you know, something's not right. So that's part of your role that you, you have as class of president, right?
2: Yeah, we I mean, as class of president, you know, we, we have a lot of roles, <laughs> but, you know, the first line, if you're going to go through a grievance or something like that, they're going to come to you to start that. And I'm not going to start a grievance if what you did was not right so we're going to have to talk about those things and there is a certain accountability and that you have to do too you have to kind of manage ahead of time because it's, you know a lot of times you'll see stuff or hear about things that happen from officers and you need to have a good relationship with what the might be the other groups or with the officers or people outside of your rank so you understand what's going on so you can get ahead of that so you know if that's what you're talking about the accountability for supervisors is that uh, they have to be doing a good job of Looking out for their people, and and that's the def- and that and even as is that as I if I find out that a sergeant's not treating somebody fair or you know did something that I don't agree with I'll go to them and say you, what are you doing don't, right. we don't we don't treat our people that way right and, you know if I guess if you go back the analogy that I use so last August was my twentieth year as a supervisor so I've got a little bit of experience in supervising people <laughs> and I've supervised. Everyone from civilians to, um, I've supervised a lot of people over that 20 years. So, the, you know, when they give you the stripes, and I give this analogy, and I give this to the new sergeants when they come and talk to me too, is that, um, you know, you see the patch on top of the, the rockers for the sergeant stripes. And I always tell them that the uh, that department is the admin that represents all of us. And there's a lot of things that fall, excrement, that falls down from that. And it's, <laughs> it's the sergeant's job to keep his people huddled underneath his stripes and try to keep all that stuff off his people. And, you know, it's like there's just a lot of things now that that hits that can come at officers, but it's your job to do everything you can to protect those people underneath of you. Yes. And what that means is hold them accountable, and that means to make sure that they're doing the right things. And, um, and do that without – you don't always have to – uh, do an IA. You don't always have to do an investigation. It doesn't always include yelling at them. It's sometimes just an action like tapping somebody on the shoulder or, you know, saying, a
0: conversation. Hey,
2: it's a conversation. It's the same thing that the people expect on the road when you're doing traffic enforcement. For example, you can pull up on a traffic stop and you can know the minute you pull up there, whether that person needs a ticket, whether he needs just a stern talking to, or if he just needs, he already got his attention. <laughs> And, it, and is probably never going to make that mistake again because, sure. you, you know, he's clamped up so tight he can't even really talk and find his driver's license. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: So it's the same thing with officers. You just have got to constantly let them know you're watching. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, hey, you know, slow down. I mean, I've been to calls and things where we all get heated. We all get to the point where we get amped up and sometimes that, that frustration, anger, whatever it is, gets the best of us and we need somebody to come up behind and hold us accountable and maybe just tap us on the back and say, hey, back up. I'll take this or pull them out of the situation. I've done that as a supervisor and I've had people come back and say, hey, thanks. I, you know, it was getting bad and we need to look out for each other. Otherwise, you do have things that happen that we've seen recently. You have to be able to hold everyone accountable and take over sometimes Um, Well,
0: and sometimes even ask the question, especially when you see a change in someone's personality, if you've got somebody that zero excessive use of force complaints for years, and then all of a sudden we have a couple in this person, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: what's going on?
2: Yeah, and there's supposed to be software that we use for tracking that so that they know that when that stuff's happening, but what do you do with it when you recognize somebody that is starting to have those problems. And the people that are probably going to recognize them the most are going to be your peers. Absolutely. I would hope your supervisor. Yes. And they're going to be, to, you know, pull them aside. And it, it, sometimes just acknowledging, hey, I'm noticing this in you mm-hmm. is enough for that person to say, okay, I need to reel myself in. I need to go see Susan. I need to empty my garbage can. Yes. And I need to, you know, reset. And we all go through that because we go through this job and it's groundhog day. And sometimes we get a little bit upset about things or some day, some things must, may upset us a little bit more, but we need to be checking each other and policing mm-hmm. each other and making sure that everyone's okay. And sometimes that's just pulling somebody aside. Sometimes that's saying, Hey, let me take this call. Or mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, you come with me, you know, we're going to have a long, hard talk here. So
0: and here's one of your best resources, Chris. At, at Chandler, because he's been the sergeant. Right. He's not any longer. Right. And officers will talk to him because he still has that knowledge, but he doesn't have the perception of threat. Right. Of disciplining or anything along those lines. And, you know, it's like, um, and you will agree with me, but there's one other officer that Chris is good friends with that we have told him we will beat him within an inch of his life if he ever tests for sergeant again. (laughs) Right. Because people have wanted him to. He's a great resource, just like he is.
2: Well, it's interesting, too, that you bring up Chris's situation because he is a perfect example of that. Because now he is is an informal leader, I guess, because of things. And, And he has done such a fantastic job. Of going through what he went through, because mm-hmm. that was quite a trying time for him personally and professionally. Yes. But he is somebody that came out above all of that. Yes. And he's come out better than he did when he went in. Absolutely. And he's also somebody that I, you know, you don't, I don't hear anything from anyone other than saying that he is doing fantastic. Yes. And he's he's a solid officer. He's the kind of guy that you want on your team because he's going to teach the new guys uh the right way to do things. Yes. And Chris knows how to do that because he's been doing it for a long time. And sometimes the biggest, uh, biggest way that we learned is from our mistakes. Absolutely. And we're all going to make them. Yes. It's what you do with them at the end. And I think Chris is a perfect example of he should, everybody should follow his lead. When you get in trouble, they should go see Chris and say, okay, how do I do my damage control? How do I, you know, we always used to, um, call the south substation because there wasn't many calls. We would call it the, uh, the rehab, rehabilitation tour. So you need to I go down south that. and take your rehabilitation tour down there and <laughs> gradually get yourself back in, make, get your name back to where it was before and better. Sure. And that's I what, did. that's what Chris has done. Yeah. And it worked. Well, and, and there
0: were people that didn't think he should be back out on the road. No, and he really had, you know, we had that conversation before he went back out and I said, you're going to have to be open and honest. Yep. You know, squelch the rumors by telling your story yourself, um, admitting to your mistakes, what, what went on. Because, you know, it, I said, if I raised my children with anything that was halfway intelligent as a parent, and that was if you're going to do something, claim it. If you're not going to claim it, don't do it. And the same thing needs to apply here because people don't talk enough in law enforcement about aftermath of things, whether it's disciplined stuff or critical incidents, or whatever it is, so nobody knows what to expect or what to do. And again, Chris, it went from a um, lot of doubt from people that he should even be a cop to now probably being, in my opinion, as much as I hate to say this to him and watch his ego get fed even more, to probably one of the most respected officers at Chandler Police Department.
2: Yeah, I would, I mean, I, as far as... from uh, where, given where he started to where he is where he's at right now he's come a long way he has um, does that hurt to say Tom no it doesn't (laughs) it's actually real easy to say because you've done a
1: good job well and and he was one of my mentors in it sure there was a lot of things about I'm not comparing myself to a 20 year supervisor obviously but Tom isn't a person that that well do you yell
2: sometimes if i have to, voice
0: he can get loud, but your
2: but typical communication usually above my rank that i'm
1: yelling. <laughs>
0: yes. yes he's good at that
1: your typical communication and supervisor style is not to lose the message and what you're trying to articulate to whoever you're speaking to it's usually stay calm you'll tell that person well that was dumb don't do that again type of thing but it's uh, a lot of supervisors think you know they get the stripes on their arms or above and i just i need to turn into an ass. You know yes. what I mean? It's like...
2: that. Those are people that don't... Um, <laughs> shouldn't be supervised. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say super. Maybe they've promoted ahead of their time. Maybe they yes. don't have the experience that they need. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, and you see a lot of that because a lot of agencies are new. But in, and a lot of times you don't have a choice because those might be the only people... <laughs> That are putting in for those promotions right so yeah and there's a certain amount of learning curve that goes for them on that but you're right you know and, and usually with me i let you i'll talk to you about things and i let you explain to me why what you did was wrong and once you hear yourself say that you're going to believe yourself more than you're going to believe me telling you okay. so you know it's usually what we do when we're going through a scenario somebody gets in trouble i say explain to me what happened you know, and they'll explain it to me. And uh, but don't
0: you think that some of your ability to be able to talk to people that way comes because of the experiences you went through in everything with? I mean, you, you had a pretty horrific situation. I did and in that, your career.
2: Yeah, that taught me a lot. Now uh, that that situation, because like we said, we learn from our mistakes, taught me a lot on a whole lot, uh, many different levels. Sure. You know, coming back, the people that I thought, you know, I'm like, that guy's a ding dong or, you know, some of those people were the ones that, you know, came back and they were like uh, the ones that came out and said, hey, I'm sorry what you're going through. That's a you know, horrible thing. And, you know, we're very kind and, and that, you know, and it was just it really changed my perspective a lot on on everyone sure. in the department, how I and how I dealt with people. And it's funny because, you know, people get into mistakes Mm-hmm. Or they'll make mistakes or do something. And um, I just look at them. I say, you know, they, if they think they just, this is the worst thing that could have possibly happened. Usually it's the guys that get their first IA. Yeah. You know, and the, it's, my first thing is this is your first IA in 11 years. You've done nothing for this department. Because you've not stick your neck out. <laughs> exactly. And yourself in. But second of all, it's like, it's, it's insignificant. You might be getting a letter of reprimand or you might be getting... um uh, just a counseling statement and that can be devastating to you for the first mm-hmm. time in your career because you know none of us would like better than to go through our entire career without uh, a check mark on having an investigation done on us but, but it still makes me question it doesn't uh, what are you doing and my response to them and people get upset with this sometimes they look at me like that's not fair You, I'll tell them have you ever been booked in jail while you're on duty and it's like they're like oh man <laughs> so so to me you know some of those I've things seen the picture right <laughs> So, yeah, you really
0: haven't lived, lived to, you've experienced all aspects. Of no, this, you show of me, your, you
2: show me your booking photo. I'll show exactly. you mine. So no, it's, you know, it's one of those things where when you've been through all that stuff and you've made it through and you came out on the other side, yep. you know, it's, uh, it's something that is definitely teaches you a lot. Well, that's and, why we're never going to let you retire. People. You understand? Yeah, no. You're understand? you there
0: permanently. I've I, No, I, I you, as,
1: I long, never. as <laughs> long as you can remember, is it? And kind of on what you said about, you know, you find out who your friends are and stuff like that. Is it always been a dog eat dog world in the police department?
2: We consume our own. I uh-huh. mean, we're, we're probably our worst critics. We're very hard on each other.
1: I think that sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Mm hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it it is. But for a guy that's struggling, that's not, you had, if you have an officer walk in or whatever rank, walk into your office today and say, I'm struggling. Right. The first thing you're going to do is comfort him, you know, and get him resources like Susan. But in the dog eat dog world, that doesn't happen. And I've always said, I've been around for two on duty desks now, I believe. And I've always said, why can't it always be like this at a department? You know, everybody's so nice to each other and so after something like that happens. And it's, that's not the other 360 days in a year.
2: It's a, it's a culture, you know what I mean? And the way that we deal with things, it's kind of a, um, and it's also a personality thing because a personality that it takes to become a police officer is also, you know, one that's going to win, you know, that's what we're taught to do. And no matter how you look at that, Um, at work or at home or you know just your problem solvers and
0: you jump into it with right both feet and everything but don't you think the (laughs) eating our own has gotten worse over time Um, don't you think there i mean i know there was always this perception of this thin blue line that we'll cover for each other and i think there was some of some of that going on not necessarily from a negative perspective but i think officers were pulling others back and going hey this is going too far. We will let it go this time. But now people are jumping on it the first time. Yeah.
2: And I'm not sure when that happened because it did. And there was been some time I can tell you that in the last 30 years, because the first part of that 30 years, it wasn't like that. We looked out for each other and you know, um,
0: I got 29 at under the shield and it wasn't that way in the beginning there, but I'm like you, I don't know. I I think a lot of things like the, um, what was the event with the feds up in Tennessee? Where they had some big gathering and it went bad, and they started really telling. I know that was Marshall was with DEA then, and they started saying this. Even getting together off duty is going to be frowned upon, and um, those those kinds of things I think started a lot of this, and it just migrated and got worse.
2: Yeah, I don't know that you see the team uh, adhesiveness closeness that you that you mm-hmm. have you see, in the past. Right. You know you don't see that because. It's interesting that you know when as I'm going up I had all new friends every year at shift change <laughs> yeah. you know it was it was whoever was on that team and then once you were off that team and you went somewhere else, you really didn't even mm-hmm. associate with them very much because there was that kind of thing that you had with the team and I don't know that you have that anymore uh, I don't and it is discouraged it. I mean that you know that it's just like you went back to you know the after work decompression meetings <laughs> that we had. So it was, you know, even back to those, those were discouraged and, sure. you know, frowned upon. So
1: so I, as we wrap up here, and I know that you know a lot of people, not only across the state, but you know officers and friends even outside of the state of Arizona. If you could sit in front of command staff of all these different agencies and in, in relation to under the shield or uh, getting their men and women help, what would you tell the leaders?
2: I would tell the leaders that they need to get behind more than just one thing. They need to, they need to work with their associations and they need to understand that the association's resources that they're looking for are also resources that they need to, to pursue or push, you know, and that's, they just need to take care of their people mm-hmm. is, is what it really comes down to. Um, and,
1: and she can say it till she's blue in the face.
2: I mean, but
0: they to listen to me.
2: You've had a lot of changes. I mean, and that, that you're opening up, that question opens up a lot because it's going to be different for every agency. Because what happens is that, you know, a, a police chief is, um, you know, like many of them are at will or uh, and that changes everything. Sure. Because that when you do that to a department, I do don't think you're always going to get the honesty that you're going to get if it's a police chief that knows that he's protected right. in his position because I think he's going to be a little bit more honest. He's not going to basically do what he's told to do. He's going to do from the officer side of things. So I think that those things are what, what changes a lot of that. So uh,
1: it's well, difficult. Well, I think they have you to have answer to the
0: first question, and that is what's most important? Right. Is it your people? Is that most important or is it pleasing the public, the council, the whoever? Because, and it should be, again, It just like corporations have learned, your most valuable commodity are your people. They're going to make you look good or they're going to make you look bad. That's a That's a huge part of it.
2: Right. And we all have our bosses. Yes. You know, and they answer to theirs and we answer to ours. So, you know, that's the big thing is that you're just doing the best that you can to take care of your people. And finding different resources or, you know, the things that they need, that's probably one of the most important things. But you have to have a good working relationship with your associations and those people that kind of have their ear to the ground and can tell you. Because, you know, many times we see where things get pretty diluted or don't even make it to the top where a chief may not even know what's going on. And I think you have to have the kind of relationship with your chief And your, and your admin so that they know what is going on at the ground level and can help. And, and they have to be willing to do something about that information when they get it.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're going to definitely have you back because there's still so much stuff we didn't even begin to talk about. So I hope you will come back again. Absolutely. Good. Well, we appreciate you being here. Um, You did good today, Chris.
1: It's like my fourth time now in front of this mic. I think
0: you're now beginning to (laughs) to get accustomed to it. And so we just want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate your support here at uh, Fight in Progress. And please stay safe. Take care. Thank you for all the sacrifices you and your families make. And God bless you.